and welcome to the For Her Empire podcast. I'm your host, Abby Moucher. And in this podcast, we address the personal and the business issues that female entrepreneurs face in their day-to-day lives. So my guest is Babita, who you've probably already met. <laughs> Hi, Babita. Hi, Abby. So Babita is um, a licensed psychotherapist and a psychoanalyst. Right? I am. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and in our previous um, interview with her, we talked about divorce recovery. And this is part of a three-part series. So today's interview is about narcissism. And probably sort of figure out what exactly a narcissist is. And if it's just like extreme self-love. And how it affects you being around a narcissist. So the impact it has both for adults, for kids, and how it looks like for when, for men and women. Hey, introduce yourself. <laughs> Great. So as Abby said, I'm a psychotherapist, a psychoanalyst, and also a certified coach. I focus on relationship work, toxic relationships, narcissism, life transitions, um, and workplace, you know, stress and mental health issues in the workplace. So this part, as Abby was, you were describing, is a space around narcissism, which comes up a lot in my practice, and I think has become in some ways a really hot item that's just slowly um, becoming more and more in the spotlight today. People are becoming more aware of it. Okay, okay. And so what exactly counts as narcissism? At at what point is like self-love on that level too extreme? Sure. So it's interesting because a lot of people when they think or they use the word a little flippantly, like, oh, you're so narcissistic. So a lot of people associate that with like maybe being being vain or self-love, but actually it, it runs a lot deeper. So um, narcissistic personality disorder is a personality disorder that's diagnosable. Uh-huh. And even though there's a spectrum of narcissism, meaning some individuals have certain symptoms, it can even go up to the pathological narcissist, the narcissistic abuser, etc. And what it means is it's characterized by a grandiose sense of self, importance, a lack of empathy for others. You're unable to sort of be in someone else's subjective experience and the need for excessive admiration, power and control that goes beyond anything that one would experience as far as you know, someone being a little vain or sometimes being yeah. a little controlling. This goes beyond that. Yeah. Okay. And how how does that look like for different people? Like for uh, men and for women, how does that narcissist look like on both sides? Sure, what a great question. Because oftentimes there's an assumption that we're focusing on men. Um, but really there is the female narcissist and the male narcissist. And while there are some overlaps generally around how it's defined, and around that grandiosity, there are some distinct ways in which they show up. Um, Maybe let's turn first to the male narcissist. And when I describe these qualities, I mean, you and I will start to explore in in this podcast just what one feels like, because that is very connected to how we also define the person, how the person is feeling around the individual. But a male narcissist, there's several characteristics. Um, They have an inflated sense of self-importance. They lack empathy. They're preoccupied with power. They need to be idealized constantly. They exploit their relationships. So it really is all about them. And they tend to kind of create an experience for their victims to feel less than not good enough um, that they're, that they actually, uh, that their opinions are, are not ever right. Um, they create a lot of low self-esteem in individuals. Um, oftentimes it shows up in terms of uh, being someone who wants to be the center of attention and they often want to continue to maintain that kind of power. (laughs) (laughs) Who doesn't want to be the center of someone's universe? Who doesn't want that? 
That is true. It does come up with some people are kind of like want to be the center of attention. This is sort of like they will, they can never not be. Oh. And if they aren't, they go into a rage. They, they, are de they feel destabilized if they are not the center of attention. Now, with a female narcissist, we still have that need for attention. We do have that sense of lack of empathy. Some of the nuances are this. Female narcissists tend to be extremely jealous. So if they're surrounded by a bunch of women or they're working with a bunch of people, they have a real need to make sure that they are always number one. They will find a way to cut that other person out. This comes up a lot in female narcissists in like friend groups or in situations, perhaps even in relationships with couples, the female narcissist wants the male attention, even with the men who are married and they're supposedly friends with their wives. They want that attention, sometimes even creating acts of uh, where it lures infidelity into those relationships. Oh, okay. The female narcissist also, she also wants power, but the way she goes about it is a little different. She, she wants uh, money, but she, she, it shows up in terms of excessive spending of money. Okay. Uh, the female narcissist shows a, up a lot in the family space, meaning they, are, they tend to be emotionally unavailable. Okay. And so you'll see it in their relationship with their children. So they will be extremely critical they will make their kids feel like they're not good enough. They will have very high demands of their children, right? So there's a lot around that space where the female narcissist needs to always be admired, but they, also, they are also the ones that can be distant to make their, their loved ones uh, feel less than as well. Oh, okay, okay. Like you want all that respect and admiration, but you're not really available for any actual um, bond, sort of. Yes, yes, there's, there's the inability to bond, to really have that love and care. So it's extremely, they're extremely selfish, right? It's extremely self-absorbed. So their needs need to be met. So they would show up as, as sort of like, for example, in the workplace, it would show up as the boss that always needs to get all of the attention, no matter who she's delegated things to. And, and that shows up for the male also, right? That she needs to be the center. For the family relationships, it could be the, sometimes they show up as the mother-in-law who has no room for her son, her son's wife, right? <laughs> it shows up in a lot of different ways. Okay. Wow, right. <laughs> and um, the what impacts? Okay, how does it affect the kid? Like, let's say um, we have a child, and um, scenario one, your father is a narcissist. Scenario two, your mother is a narcissist. So, um, what impact does it have on the kid in either scenario? What a great question. Um, it can have a similar impact. It can also have a different impact. So with the female narcissistic mother, there is the experience of not feeling good enough, similar with the male. But if the female narcissistic mother is the center, right, of the home and the heart, so to speak, let's say she is the mother that's at home raising the child more than, let's say, the father is, then what will happen is for that child, they will consistently have the experience of a, a, a love that's distant. They, they may not feel loved. They may not feel cared for. Um, they may feel that their opinions or their views or things they want to do are dismissed. They may also have uh, a narcissistic mother, maybe someone that wants their child constantly in beauty pageants because it makes her look good. So it's yeah. often around that. The narcissistic father can show up very similarly um, he might want to show dominance or power over the child. The narcissistic father may have very high expectations around the trajectory of the, the child's, you know, capabilities in activities, in school, a lot of pressure there. Um, may show up as a, the child not being able to just have fun in their activities. They have to show up in a certain way. They have to be the best. But I would say that in both situations, there could be very similar results 
Yeah. The child still ends up with very low self-esteem. Yeah, inferiority complex. And even like picking partners that aren't that are toxic, that actually aren't good for them, unhealthy relationship situations. Yeah. Or the child can become a narcissist as well. Because this is what's been modeled for them. Yeah, but um if if narcissism is all about you being all puffed up and you've been pressed down by um by your parents how do you become an, i thought you just become somebody with like very very fragile low self-esteem and, and all that like where do you get the confidence to be this grandiose well the irony is that narcissists actually have a deep low self-esteem they actually aren't really confident but they come across as extremely charming and confident but the psychological roots are is that their self-esteem is so low that they need to have their narcissistic minions. They need to have people idealize them consistently because their self-esteem is so low. Okay. So I know it gets a little complex because most people think, oh, it's because they're super confident, but actually they're not. But they appear to be so, and they get their supply from those who worship them. Like, oh, what should we do it? Yes, yes, exactly, uh, exactly. So now I have two questions, but now the first part, if a child has a narcissist parent can become one. So um, I guess being exposed to a narcissist or at least having one in your life for a large amount of time can make someone, can make you a narcissist. So apart from that, are there any ways um, that one becomes a narcissist apart from just having one in your life? Meaning, like beyond just the uh, the parent that yeah, has kind yeah. of elbow, etc. Yeah. Um, oftentimes, narcissism this usually does stem from what's been modeled in the family. Okay. If someone is either, it could also be the overbearing, almost to the parent that almost is constantly elevating their child. So you have the distant parent, but then you could have the parent that's like, "You're the best. You're always amazing." worshiping you. Incredible. <laughs> Right. And then it's constantly, they're feeding them and feeding them. They cannot manage mistake or disappointment. But sometimes it happens in traumatic, if there's been trauma. Maybe someone has been in a situation where they were adopted. Maybe they've been in foster homes. But a lot of it is stemming then, yes, from their environments, who they've been surrounded by, what kind of traumatic experiences have they experienced um, to create this. So there's a lot of ways that that kind of happens. Okay. And so we had to look at two scenarios about how having um, a narcissistic parent can affect a child. Now, take it to a different way. How can that affect an, an adult in a relationship? So scenario one, your partner, your male partner is narcissist. Scenario two, your female partner is narcissist too. Um, are there any actual difference between the two or it's pretty much the same? Well, I'll, I'll describe some common traits around narcissism. And even though every situation is unique, I'll also describe some scenarios on how it shows up for the relationship with someone's wife is narcissistic and the relationship with someone's husband or partner or they're dating someone. So some, here's some important concepts that I feel our listeners um, could be attuned to and understand better because I truly believe educating yourself on this is the first step. The first one is called love bombing. And love bombing is when you, the person first becomes involved with the narcissist. This is how they get drawn into the relationship, whether it's a male or a female. The, the narcissist then is constantly saying how much they love the person, how amazing they are. They're doing very grand gestures. They are just, I mean, let's talk about you know, roses <laughs> and flowers or saying that they're just incredible people and they want to see them all the time. They're very charming. And so whether it's a male or a female, a lot of times the love bombing starts. So for the male, if they're dealing with the female narcissist, this feels really good, right? Like here's this woman that's idealizing them who doesn't really like oh. that. And if it's a female who might have had some, you know, feelings of insecurity or a time in their life where they're feeling that, you know, good. like they want a partner, they're going to eat this up. Yeah. <laughs> love bombing, right? It's called love bombing. Then you have what's called the gaslighting. So you're now in it, right? You're in it. You've been love bombed. You're hooked. 
suddenly really this comes right <laughs> you and you're like you're telling our friends you're telling everybody oh, they're so wonderful right? and your friends are envious they don't even <laughs> be they can't wait to meet this person they might even meet them and say oh my god you're right wish we were treated that way <laughs> and then the gaslighting begins and gaslighting is where the narcissist starts to reel themselves back. This is where they're slowly starting to become more, you'll see they'll become more critical of you. Sometimes they're unavailable. All of a sudden you're wondering what happened? Why are they pulling back? Where's that person that I was getting to know? Where's that person that I felt so connected with? They become a little bit more emotionally unavailable. They start to put you down a little bit more. You see it more and more. They start to maybe even isolate you from your safety net, your village, the people you hang out with. They start to manipulate you. They start to think that, no, it's you. It's not them. What do you mean yeah. I'm not available? I'm here all the time. What are you talking about? Oh, right. That's called gaslighting. So that takes place and that leaves an individual feeling really rather confused because they, all they know is this charming person who's love-bombed them. They're hooked and they don't know what to do about it. Yeah. They also now have friends or family members saying, what are you talking about? This person's great. And then you have that being reeled in. And they start to have to be connected to that person, but in a very toxic way. They are now beaten down into feeling like everything's their fault. They're feeling like they're the ones who are not good enough. This happens in both the men and, the, and women. But what happens is, Often men don't talk about it because there's a feeling of shame. <laughs> yes, exactly. That, right? So you've got a lot of sense for men not wanting to really admit that this is happening until they start to become normalized and start to understand how unhealthy it is and that they're not alone in the situation. With the narcissistic wife, there's emotional unavailability, there can be some infidelity, there could be a constant need for attention. It's never good enough. He can never say enough. He can never say you're beautiful enough. He can never say that you're smart enough. There's constant jealousy, there's possessiveness, there's control. Insecurity is everywhere. A lot of it. Can't go anywhere. There can also be in both a little bit of domestic violence. So the, the narcissistic wife wants to possess her husband, you'll see it in excessive spending. She wants to make sure that she's in charge and, to, and can do whatever she wants to and needs a lot of attention. That is such an emotionally abusive relationship. <laughs> it really is. But sometimes it can be really subtle, and that becomes tricky because we have what's called out of the covert narcissist. This is what comes up a lot in my work. Sometimes it's not as obvious, right? People come into my office, they're talking about either they're dating someone, you know, a lot of people that are dating someone, they're in their 20s, right, or 30s, and they're like, this person is, I don't know what's going on, I really want them back, or they're, I'm dating them, and we keep having these arguments, this is what comes up. Or you'll have it in a long-term marriage, and someone is not as aware of it because it's so subtle around how they behave, and that's called the covert narcissist. It's a little bit more passive aggressive. It doesn't show up as obviously, but they, it slowly is there. The isolation, the criticism, the making you feel less than, it's a little bit more subtle. You know, where suddenly someone is like, I don't know, I don't feel so good about myself. What's going on here? Oh, okay. um, so um, how, if the first part is, how do you know that, that you're, you're a narcissist, whether um, very blatant or the covert one you just mentioned? And, and how do you know that your partner is one? Well, I would say you, a lot of times individuals don't know until they start to recognize and get more in touch with how they're feeling. When they start to see that um, or notice things like feeling like they're not feeling as confident, they're feeling like they're scared every time they want to do something that their partner's not going to let them, or they're feeling like suddenly that they're noticing their partner's lying, but making it feel like they're the ones that are crazy. Yeah. Um, you might even notice that their partner 
is holding secrets, and this is where the you know the uh, either uh, emotional affairs or pure physical affairs are coming in. Um, they notice that their partners never apologize for anything. Uh, <laughs> partners go into rage, right? They go into <laughs> they go into rage. They get so angry, even if you say something like, "Yo, how about doing it this way?" Um, oh, so correcting them like yeah. I'm wrong. Yeah, so often you you start to think about what that is, and then what happens is people start to like either research it, or they might go to a, a therapist, or they may be talking to a friend, or even their their parent, and and it starts to come together, and all of a sudden they start to see these qualities, like, and they're oh my god, yeah. I'm with a narcissist. I'm with, I think I'm with a narcissist, and then they seek help or they try and figure it out. That's usually how it happens. You don't necessarily say, oh, I'm with a narcissist. Like, you don't just know it like that. Um, I, I, this is ridiculous. And this is also based on, like, novels that, that sort of, like, the power of love. Let's, let's call it that. So is it possible if you date a narcissistic, um, have a, a partner that is narcissistic, um, to fix them or to sort of make them change or, like, Something of that sort. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know what? That that is asked so many times when either people are in a relationship, um, and I've been like asked this in in, in other interviews and stuff. Um, you know, I'm going to say something that might seem like a controversial answer okay. because the majority of individuals are going to say no, and most of the time you cannot change a narcissist. However, I would say this, if there is someone who's a narcissist and they recognize it, they are, let's say you're in couples work and, you know, someone says you are, you, you know, do you recognize that these are narcissistic tendencies or et cetera, et cetera. Then if they do the work, if they are in intensive therapy, they get an assessment, they, are, you know, three times a week, they work on themselves etc. They manage it and they're in, they're in couples work on top of it. Yes. Can they, can they maybe shift? Um, I would say that there's possibility and options and hope. If they can look at the roots, if they can see what their traumas were and how it was formed. Um, oftentimes this isn't so easy though. And, but it also depends, Abby, on where they are in the spectrum. If they are pathological, if they are a narcissistic abuser, if there's someone that has narcissistic symptoms, if they're on this side of the spectrum, then yes, through the work, you know, they can work on themselves, we can work on it and move through it, but it's still very, very difficult. Usually you say run in the other direction to someone that's with a narcissist. So there's like nothing you can do about it. It's just like you die that way. <laughs> there's no like work. Unless you yourself figure it out, then there's no change. You just keep getting worse and worse and worse. Well, you have to, you know, go be willing to go to therapy, go to someone who specializes in narcissism, own it, do the work, take action consistently, consistently, see what other subjective experiences are. So there's, you know, there may be some possibility around that. If you are a narcissist and you're also you have bipolar disorder or you're a narcissist, you're borderline and you also get some psychiatric help. Um, but it's rare that a narcissist owns that he or she is a narcissist. So first it's got to be that step. It's very rare. Someone's going to own it. They will usually say, I am not, you are, I am not, it's you. Aww. You're the one who made me like this. You're the one who's created this. You're the one with the problem. Um, in the in the beginning, you you had mentioned um, while we are defining what a narcissist is, you had mentioned like a lack of empathy. Um, so are narcissists kind of sort of sociopaths? There are forms of narcissists where we would say the narcissistic sociopath. Oh. Yeah. So you could have the narcissistic sociopath. Um, and then you could have a pure NPD, or you could just have someone on the spectrum of narcissism. NPD, <laughs> narcissistic personality uh, abuser, abuse oh. disorder. 
um, yeah. like physical abuse. You could, yeah, so not all narcissists go in the direction of being physically abusive, but yes, there are narcissists that go in the direction of being physically abusive. And this is where, again, I would say, you know, get help immediately, uh, get the support, have the village, go to see a counselor and get the support you need, get the domestic violence specialist to help you, because those, those can be pretty, you know, also serious. When we go back to what you were asking me about the men who are with a narcissist who gets physical, that's where it also gets very um, difficult because, they, again, men don't want to admit that they're being yeah. physically used as much as maybe women do. Yeah. And so that comes up, and this is where we really need to hold the space of being able to normalize it, to be able to say this, is, this, is, this happens, yeah. and this is yeah. because it's so emotionally manipulative and for men also, maybe they don't, I don't want to, I don't want to respond, you know, I, I, you know, they, they don't want to like, I'm not going to be aggressive. The man could even be bigger than the woman. Yeah. So kind of, you know, it's really painful. And yeah. what, what does the treatment look like? Is it like medication? Is it writing about your, um, your past, your family? What exactly does this treatment involve? Like, just like sit down and talk to your therapist and like, how do you feel today? Is it like that? For someone who's a narcissist that comes into therapy? Yes, yes. I mean, it's rare that a narcissist will come in to, <laughs> to own that they're a narcissist. But oftentimes there will be someone who comes to therapy about different things. And, you know, I may start to recognize that they are a narcissist. You know, they may be talking about constantly blaming someone and how awful that person is. And they're giving you over and over again. They're repeating all, how everybody in their life is this way. And then, you know, it makes you think, wait a second, I think this person is a narcissist. Yeah. <laughs> That's a little bit more complicated. But I would say, generally speaking, there's a lot of different modalities and approaches. I mean, there is um, psychoanalysis which is that real deeper three times a week psychoanalytic work where you go deep into the subconscious. Um, there's trauma work where you work on various tools around the trauma space. You work with the narcissist around that. There's also what's called cognitive behavioral therapy where you're and dialectical behavioral therapy where you're trying to replace the behaviors um, and how this individual operates. And it's, a, it's, a, it's very structured and tool oriented. So I would say that there's a lot of ways to approach it. And then going back to the space of depending on, you know, psychiatric help, medication as a combination with the various modalities. Okay. And, and because um, uh, a narcissist is very charming, at what point um, before it gets so bad, can you like spot something and get the hell out of there like nope nope red flag red flag get out at what point um do you do that before it gets to the point of you like completely doubting your judgment or being physically assaulted well let's um let's say that someone is just starting to let's start with someone starting to date i would say notice during those early dating moments um, are they ever curious about you? Do they ask you about you? Do they seem to be caring? What are they, how do they describe their own relationships? Do they only talk about themselves? Are they constantly talking about their achievements? Are they love bombing? Are they weaving in and out of their life? Are they not consistent? Do you sort of notice subtle lies? Do you start to notice, like, are they really telling the truth? Why does this seem off? I would say so early on, these are some of the red flags. Are you recognizing when you describe something that they may not be showing a lot of empathy? Do they never apologize? Um, even if they show up late, do they never say, oh, I'm really sorry about that? Do they say, oh, hey, you know what? But you get late sometimes. Do they never own it? So these are some of the things. Then let's say all of this has happened and you continue to be with this person, which happens, right? This is how people ultimately end up being in a relationship or marrying a narcissist. Mm -hmm. They keep going. Maybe they keep going because they've had a parent themselves who's a narcissist and they don't notice the red flags. Yeah. 
maybe because they're just so happy to be in a relationship, they don't want to notice the red flags, right? They're really looking for someone. They want to have love. It doesn't ma- really matter. Yeah, like you, you like right? the idea of love, no matter who it is. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Then what happens is, I would say, start to look at if you're starting to feel like something's being chipped away at you. If you start to notice that this person needs to dominate everything, if you start to see that they are becoming the center of attention and everything, if you start to notice that you're feeling a little fear about bringing in your own opinions, oh. things aren't really so mutual. They're very subtle. So you may not have complete low self-esteem, but you start to see things. You might even notice it, for example, sexually. You might find that something is never good enough for them in the bedroom. You might find they're comparing you. You may have even who does that? Yeah, right. I mean, and then you're like trying to like do all these things to make them feel good about themselves. Your self-confidence is like wow. So these, as you slowly betray that it builds and it builds, they're not apologizing. Maybe they're dancing around the relationship. Um, everything you're doing is wrong. You start to notice, and then I think really start to say, why am I in this? If you see some tendency of rage before it gets violent, like you're afraid that they are going to hurt you, that's when you really, and I would say this for anyone in that potential domestic violence situation, you feel threatened. Yeah. It doesn't have to be physical to feel yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Plus sometimes when you feel threatened and there is no actual physical interaction, that you feel sort of like paranoid, like, okay, he did not do anything. Um, maybe the problem is I reacted from that sort. Exactly. And um, this is why it makes it so hard and so tricky because for a lot of people, they, it's so confusing for them. It's so, it's, sometimes it can be so subtle that they're not sure. And then over time, they start to see it. And what happens is they may come into my office and we'll slowly start to identify it. And then you know what happens? They'll say, how did I let this happen? How did I not know? And that's one thing I want to tell everybody. Please do not criticize yourself for not knowing. Do not be hard on yourself about it. It happens. There's so many things in our life that make us not realize or recognize certain things. What's important is when you do. Run, feet. <laughs> when you do, right? When the cards, when you realize, when you start to build on it. But you know what else, Abby? A lot of times people go back and forth. Let's say you're married to a narcissist, you have children. No, yeah, yeah. It's easy to just leave. You can't. You have kids to think of. Right. So people, like, if you struggle, they go, this goes on for a while. It, it, it is not something that literally, even after a few months, sometimes it can't even take a good year for someone to say, all right, this is, I'm ready. This needs to stop. I can't do this anymore. And, and for, um, if you're married, the, the last scenario I just gave, if you're married to a narcissist and you have kids, is there a way to sort of uh, leave that marriage without um, harming uh, hurting your kids but at the same time protecting your mental space because this is definitely not in any way healthy for you either so like get out of it without um making your kid feel like you're abandoning them and then getting them out as well yes it gets tricky but yes i think what's important is that the parent who's getting out is um continues to be that that loving parent you know that parent that's healthy i think that's the parent that if they sort of build their own of their own mental healing they can impart that to the child for many parents they will even bring their child into therapy to be able to express some of the things that have come up with the other parent mm-hmm. uh, i would say family therapy so you have that objective person guiding the family when you have a narcissistic parent that gives the child to feel supported you can also work with your child for them to realize that they're not alone. They know that you are always there to support them. Sometimes the narcissist in the relationship may be narcissistic, but may, may not completely show up as, 
as being so abusive to the child. It could be very subtle where they're still controlling the parent. Mm -hmm. uh, and the parent can take care of their mental health and the, still be, uh, love the child and yeah. support the child. Um, but I would highly recommend that when you're getting out, if you can minimize, it's very hard, but if you can try and minimize custody arrangements so you have more time, that's not always so easy in some states or countries. If you can make sure that your child always feels seen and heard by you and knows that you are there to support them. If you can even point out, I'm not saying there's, you're supposed to throw the other parent under the bus, but let them understand when things are not healthy or normal, help them to have their voice. And as they get older, they can feel more empowered to have their voice and bring things to the uh, other parent's attention more and more. So there are ways to be able to work on that in a very healthy way so that the child doesn't feel abandoned. Um, is it, do you think it's possible for a narcissist to ever truly love somebody? In like in a healthy, non-obsessive, controlling way. Do you think it's possible? Um, I think that that's, uh, it's very difficult. I think they feel that they are loving someone, but I don't think that they are capable of loving in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. They feel that that is how they show their love, but really it's not a healthy love. Yeah. The love bombing would tick me off. <laughs> like, uh, it just, just feels like a sign of guilt. Like, putting in so much effort. <laughs> Why? Yes, yeah. So they might, they may, they may feel that they are actually loving this person. Uh, uh, you know, it just seems like you're throwing things at me. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I always feel like, it, it's like in this um, cheating dramas, where the one cheating feels guilty, so he tries to like um, ease his guilt and placate you by buying you stuff. That would be like mm. the first scenario I think of. You start buying me things randomly. Uh, yeah. Well, what, what's interesting about that is this. Someone who's a narcissist doesn't feel guilty. They won't feel guilty about it. Oh. Because they won't really have empathy for you. But they will love bomb you with stuff because they do not want to let go of the the victim they don't want to let go of that person who's in their life that is often <laughs> like, like a prisoner yeah. it's like you're yes. holding you captive yeah they want to hold you captive so they will panic so they will behave like they feel guilty they will say he they will gift you with things they will apologize that you know it'll never happen again things of that nature but it is not the same as someone who truly might have infidelity and there may be issues in the relationship and they truly feel, why did I do this? It's different, it's not the same. The lack of guilt is very sociopathic. <laughs> it's so creepy. Yeah, that can be very sociopathic. Yeah. <laughs> <Yeah>. Creepy. <laughs> yes, so it goes back to this, it's all in a spectrum, right? It's all about narcissistic symptoms, covert narcissist, NPD, sociopathic, and just keeping that in mind. Oh, okay, okay. And are there any misconceptions that people have about narcissism? Or at least, is there a picture painted about them publicly that might not, might not exactly be true? Like the glamorized, romanticized version of what they look like? You know, great question. Um, not really, except if someone's a covert narcissist who show up differently, right? So, you know, when we think about maybe people that we could, are out in the spotlight that someone might say, okay, there's someone that feels like a narcissist, etc., that feels so grandiose, right? They loom very large, people idealize them, they have their minions, or oftentimes people may define the typical narcissist as that narcissistic boss who wants to constantly hold that power position. And they're very obvious traits there. But I would say when someone's a covert, that's where I have to say that's the one that's harder to dissect. And that's the one we don't, we want to step away and say, this is not stereotypical. This is the one that's not. Okay. Okay. Um, 
is would you say a micromanaging boss is a bit of a narcissistic boss because they are technically controlling you? Not necessarily. There can be a a, a manager that's um, micromanaging because they may not trust their employees to actually do the work. They feel very stressed out. Maybe they have a boss. They're you know the boss's boss who also micromanages, oh. etc. But you can have someone who's a narcissist and micromanaging falls under the umbrella. So the narcissistic boss will have micromanaging, will take credit, will try and pin you against other people in, in the department, actually, because they want to have their minions. They, um, they're the ones that might even throw you under the bus. Like the a boss dearest movie. <laughs> and yeah, so those kinds of things, right, are like, you have to really document, you have to make sure that you're very careful, like, is this the job that you really want to stay in? Because it can be very difficult to, to um, unless you're one of the narcissistic minions that are constantly, like, at the beck and call of this boss, you have to be careful because they'll consistently bleed boundaries. Mm. They will always be trying to make you do more and more and more and it'll never be good enough. Mm. So... I would say sometimes those are stereotypes that do exist, the narcissistic boss, yeah. but then you have little workplace things that might be a little different. Okay. Is it possible for two narcissists to work together, either work-wise or relationship-wise? Is it possible? Well, it's very hard if you have two narcissists because both of them need idealization. When a narcissist finds its prey, it's usually because that person either may already have a bit of low self-esteem, they might be a highly sensitive empath where they always want to care for someone and take care of them, right? So people that are caregivers, they often draw the narcissist. There are people that are ones that show a lot of empathy. They're very sensitive to people. And so then they will draw the narcissist. So I would say someone who's a narcissist with a narcissist, it will be a challenge because what they're looking for, the narcissist can't okay, give yeah, them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Can't give them. So in a work in a work environment where it also becomes difficult is if you'll see heads of, let's say, departments where you may have one person that's a narcissist and another department head is a narcissist, then we see a challenge. Right then, we see this workplace dynamic existing um, at C-suite that can become challenging, yeah. or even just the manager level where they're butting heads, and their their employees are like, "Oh my God, how do we how do we work in this space?" It already sounds and, very toxic and confrontational. Yes, yes, exactly. So you really have to strategize and figure out how you're going to play the game there. Uh, no, worth it. <laughs> I don't like, like navigate no. all that every single day. Not worth it. Abby, you're you're a self boss. You're like good. This is good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I feel like I, I would clash with one. I'm just like yeah, yeah. I would clash with one. Yeah, it it is re it is so difficult, and I have to tell you, for individuals that actually you know come to therapy around that space, they're very traumatized, especially if they end up being let go by the narcissistic boss, and they have been someone that they felt like has done really good work, yeah. and they can't understand it. It's so traumatizing. You tell me that after I have dealt with all your bullshit in this unhealthy environment, you have the guts to fire me. Oh my God. Yes. I will question your ancestors for 25 years. Exactly. You're like, what just happened? And this girl with the bag, like, screw you, screw your entire family. Good day. I'm out. Yeah, exactly. And then you're like, you know what? Onward to better. Onward. Yeah. I always say, you're going to learn from it and then make sure that whether it's a relationship, a work environment, whatever it is, learn from it. It's not your only story, right? You can, you, you, we don't, we repeat what we don't repair. When you repair it and you learn from it, it's not going to be your story and set your boundaries. Anyone that's been through this will learn that they'll start to notice it and they start to set their boundaries everywhere in a healthy way. Okay. 
Okay, okay. I guess after this happens, when your next partner love bumps you, you're like, no, stop, back away. I'm doing this. <laughs> you run away. Yes, and just go away. You know, and that happens too, where people have been a narcissist after narcissist because they're so drawn to a particular personality type that they may be dating a narcissist and then they're dating a narcissist again and then they may be dating a narcissist again and they're yeah, like, from it. what am I doing? <laughs> you have learn from that. <laughs> it's like, okay, this is, this is where we, this is where it has to yeah, stop. This is yeah. where After the second one, you should have just stopped and go, something is wrong here. Oh, and, and before we wrap up, um, any questions or any, any, any more information that uh, I should have asked or should have come up, but we skipped it? No, it feels like we really covered a lot. I think this is a space, though, where there's so many different areas one can dive into. Mm-hmm. You know, we could purely dive into all around corporate narcissism the narcissistic corporation, the narcissistic employer, the narcissistic boss. And we were dabbling a little bit around that. Then we've got the space, the female narcissist versus the male narcissist, which I think there's so much there, but I think we've really kind of brought some things to light. Then we've got divorcing the narcissist. And then we have the parent who's the narcissist. I would say that there's a, these are like big, you know, kind of chunky spaces. Then I think maybe there's something we, haven't looked at that might be when your child is showing narcissistic tendencies you know um and i have a little clip on that around that that you know talks about that where you know being in touch with that noticing it early on in the child and making sure the child uh cultivates empathy you want them to see that they notice others behaviors you know how that shows up bullying that's a little bit of a sign. I need to be mindful that my child might be showing some symptoms of narcissism. Oh. Bullying, they're not em- empathic. Oh, yeah. You, know, you hurt that and you feel nothing. Right? Or they're like mean girls or mean boys, right? Like that's when you're like, okay, we got to rein this yeah. in here. Like sociopathic flux going off right now. You can hit somebody and you feel nothing. Just like, ah, wait a minute. Think about that. Mm-hmm, exactly. You said you had a clip on that. Um, can you send it to me or the link so I can put it in the description? Yes, absolutely. I'll absolutely send it to you. Okay. I think the part that maybe just as we wrap up that I can't emphasize any more that I'm going to is the whole space around boundaries and really in one's life, um, especially in the space of a narcissist, they will bleed boundaries. They will, you know, your feelings don't matter. Their feelings only matter. And you yeah. find it hard to recognize what's yours and what's theirs. Um, it comes up in family members, boundaries. Like, um, no, you want to come over all the time. No, what do you mean? You're not going to do this. That's selfish. I would say boundaries are so important. So for anybody, um, setting boundaries and recognizing where do I begin and end and where does this person begin and end can be very helpful and healing to your journey in surviving a narcissist and leading a healthier life. Okay. And it's a disorder, like a narcissistic disorder or a personality type? How would you categorize it? Yes, it is. So a narcissist personality disorder is a disorder. And then you've got narcissistic symptoms along the spectrum of that. Okay, okay, okay. Um, So if someone wants to if someone feels like they are dating dating one their child is one or perhaps they are one or maybe their boss is a narcissist and they want to work with you um around that um what how do you work with them on that and how can they contact you for that mm-hmm. well um there's a lot of different you know um tools i use in my practice and so everything from psychotherapy, psychoanalysis, um, to hypnotherapy, if they really feel, you know, stuck to EMDR, which is helping to reprocess the trauma. Um, But oftentimes, it's just very healing going through psychotherapy, identifying it, working on your boundaries, um, realizing the areas which you can repair, and then building your new story 
reaching back into that empowered self, rebuilding your confidence, and kind of being able to move forward. So I would say reach out, um, share with me what's taking place in your life. Okay. You can work through this, and, and I'm, I, can, I do it with my clients, we do it together, and it's wonderful to see their journey um, of finding health, happiness, and love, or finding the job that's better for them. The way they can reach out to me is they can follow me, um, one, they can follow me on social media and then reach out through my website, Opening the Doors Psychotherapy. They can also email me, um, LP at gmail.com. Um, you can also private message me or just pick up the phone. Um, happy to take a call um, and have a dialogue. Okay, okay. Uh, I'll have the website, the uh, your website on the in the video and in the description below. So if you want to work with her or you just want to know a lot more about Asim, and if you are in contact with one because you probably end up becoming one in the long run or it's going to crush your self-esteem and just put you down and have you doubt yourself, um, these are resources that you could use. Absolutely, yes. And you'll see like one of the things that I really want to do for individuals is post a lot of resources on it. I share a lot on my website so people can at least, you know, become educated, become more aware, and get support even in that way. I didn't think it was that, it, it was such a serious thing until now. I just thought it was like, yeah, you're beautiful of yourself, but aren't we all? Mm -hmm. Isn't it amazing what we find out, right? Yeah. Ooh, anything else, uh, anything else you want to say before we end the interview? You know, I, I, it was great to be here. I'm glad that we had this dialogue, right? I think, I think it's just always wonderful for everyone to recognize things that are coming up. And I just say, look, you know, um, you're going to be okay if this is what you're experiencing. Trust yourself. You're going to be okay. Yay! Okay, so that's the second part of the series. Um, so the first part was divorce recovery. Um, this is on narcissism, and then the third would be on career change. Right? That's right. Yes. Ooh, okay. that's transition. Oh, like a change. You know, move from one career to the other. Mm -hmm. Exactly. What that looks like, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So. That's going to be fun. We're going to dive into that right next. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's wrap this up. <laughs> it's nice having you here. Nice to be here, Abby. Talk to you soon. You too.